Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you for this time. Thank you for all these precious brothers and sisters in you. And God, I pray that you'd pour out a double portion of grace upon each one of them. God, that you give them ears to hear, hearts that are in tune and open and desirous of you in every way, wanting to honor you, glorify you, to draw close to you. Lord, bless them with your presence. Bless them in those areas they need blessing. And I thank you for what you have in store for each of us. Magnify, glorify yourself today. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. If you have your Bibles, please open with me to um, 1 Timothy chapter 6. We're going to be looking at, at two verses um, because there really wasn't enough time to cover all this before. And yet in these two verses, it's pregnant with meaning. In fact, God's Word is pregnant with meaning. If we would just sit and we would just ponder, we would just think, we would connect the dots like those pictures. Well, let's read our text together. Verse 20 begins, and it says, O Timothy, guard what has been entrusted to you, avoiding worldly and empty chatter and opposing arguments of what is falsely called knowledge which some have professed and have gone astray from the faith. Grace be with you. As we come to the closing of 1 Timothy, and next week we'll start 2 Timothy, a little background and, and understanding. Um, as we close Timothy here, Paul picks up kind of where he started. Timothy as I mentioned several times, was left in Ephesus, and there he was to minister to the people. And we saw that the problems existed, and the greatest problem is what we call today Gnosticism. Now, Gnosticism wasn't full-blown. It wasn't probably its peak, maybe somewhere between 150 and, and uh, maybe 300 A.D., so this is like a, a prototype. These were the things that were the problems in the church. And that's what we're going to talk about a little more. We'll touch a little bit about it next week, especially, I think. But this is what Timothy has left in this place, this church, to stop the foolish talking, the, to deal with the false teachers, not to allow them to speak to the congregation. Now, you can't stop somebody when they're out on the street but you can stop them when they come into your house. You can stop them if there's a, a meeting. In fact, it's in 1 John. Um, actually, it's 2 John. And they were instructed not to let someone come into their house. And whether it was a house church or just an individual house, if they didn't bring the teaching of Jesus Christ, They've gone too far. They, they didn't continue in that teaching. That's the teaching I want you to understand that you're focusing on is a teaching. The teaching that I teach you today is nothing new. There is nothing new under the sun. 
the teaching would be the same as the apostles would be teaching. That's what we're lifting out of the Word. We're, we're just kind of expounding on it, explaining it. Because the cultural difference, we don't always get it. But they were coming up with what was something that would be called new. In fact, 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 3 and 4, notice what it says, I urge you upon my departure from Macedonia, remain upon an Ephesus, so that you may instruct, notice, certain men not to teach strange doctrines, nor pay attention to myths or endless genealogies which give rise to mere speculation rather than furthering, notice, the ministration of God which is by faith. There are those type of teachers teaching today, whether it be on the radio or the TV, deviating from the text, something new, a strange doctrine. Their actions are really saying Jesus Christ is not enough. Now let me ask you a question. You don't need to respond. But is Jesus enough? Because there's no need in coming to church if He's not enough because it's all about Him. He is our Savior. He is our hope. He is our peace. He is the truth. In fact, it says He is the way, the truth, the life. No way the Father but through Him. No teaching on, not to say it's wrong, but how to be a good businessman, how to be this, how to be that. What you need is Jesus Christ. His words hidden deep in your heart. That you naturally live that Christ-like life and then all the pieces come together. He cleanses us, changes us, empowers us. He guides us. He leads us through the wilderness and the desert experiences in our life. Now, what do I mean wilderness or desert experience? Well, that, that's something that you just feel like you're all alone. There's no place to turn. Sometimes maybe when you're reading the Word, it just doesn't make sense. It's dry. And yet God is the one that leads you there. That you would want Him and want Him more. I want to pick up just for a moment that word instruct. The word instruct there in that passage, he was to instruct certain men not to teach strange doctrines, really was a command. In fact, it was a demand for obedience. It was ongoing day in, day out. Do not let them teach you. That's my responsibility as a leader and those other leaders here in the churches to when people come in with a strange doctrine to deal with it quickly and have them go out the door. We don't stand up here and point fingers and yell at them. We try to talk to them, but if they don't want to talk, they'll go because we want to protect you. And this is what Timothy is, is, is told to do, is to guard. The whole book is guard, instruct them, to train them in righteousness. We talked about the significance of, of really godliness and holiness and character is so important. Because a lot of these these teachings, these strange teachings, were, they were godless teaching. Well, Timothy is left with that responsibility. 
the leader's left with that responsibility. But I want to not just stop at that point and though I will deal with it. He was to guard the, the truth, the gospel that was given to him, entrusted. We'll look at that more. But think about this. You are to guard that truth. You have that responsibility. Because if the Lord would tarry, let's say, and, and you have not protected your own home, protected the minds of your kids, and, and modeled true biblical Christianity where it gives yourself away, showing that, that really God first, that we're deny ourselves, pick up our cross and follow him daily. If we haven't modeled, pass that on to that next generation, where will that generation be? The workforce today is really a bad situation. I've talked to many business owners and heard different things, and they just don't know what to do with these workers. They have no values, no work ethics, let alone any moral character. The thievery in the businesses is increasing. And so when he says these things in a, in a practical way for the church, for the congregation, to the to leader, you have a responsibility as grandparents, parents, and those that you have influence with, however that may be observing the truth to that next generation. Maybe you remember when I showed the pictures of Cappadocia in, in Turkey when I went and hiding during a time of persecution and copying the Scripture. That you and I would have that Scripture today. It's guarded in many different ways that you're going to see in our text today. But what was he his responsibility is to deal with these false teachers. There are many false teachers in this world. If they teach another doctrine than who Jesus Christ is and the work of the cross and what Jesus Christ has done for you and me, don't listen to them. It's not about money. It's not about power. It's about a surrendered life being conformed to the image and likeness of Jesus Christ. The church today really is not much different than the time of Paul. Problems are the same. The church was to be a light and salt in the community, and that's what we are, to be a light and salt. A light means that they are to see the truth in our lives as we live it out, that we bring a light into this dark world the salt, and sometimes our, our words, our actions, sometimes it does burn them because it, it convicts them. But again, as I finish this point today, the, one of the main points is how do you live your life? And if a church is faithful to the word and guarding the truth, then it will be seen in the life of the people, not in the size of the church in the maturity of the people. And that's important. And this is what he's communicating. But the church has began this drift, to drift away, dealing with secular ideas, secular psychology, atheism, leaving the, 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 the prime importance of the church 
in the beginning, God created the heaven and earth. Now, most of you, those that I know that we've had conversations, believe that. But recently, I saw the statistic that less than 65% believe that God didn't create the earth and all evolution. And this is some of the things that Gnosticism had started, and of course, there are many other things happened, but they were embracing these strange, strange doctrines and... Then there's the moral issues that changed. What God has for you and me is number one, simple, plain, ordinary language. Don't get sucked in by this stuff. Don't give it the time of day. If you're listening to someone and it's on the radio or TV or even if stop it. Stop it. And it's very important because you will be tainted by these things. Because some people really are great communicators. And they could make you believe anything. And you will believe anything if you're not grounded in the Word of God. Mature taking his word and hiding it in your heart. This is what happens to our kids when they go to college and, and they give them a whole different thing. In so many words, they say, God didn't really say that because there wasn't a God. Proverbs twenty two twenty eight says this, Interesting, do not move the ancient boundary which your fathers have set. Now, that's interesting because what it's talking about is land. Like, you know what your property is, and, and, and some of the people would take and move the property in so they have more farmland, take over somebody else's. And, and that's the, 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 the first primary significance of that passage, not being dishonest. But there is a spiritual sense to this. A, a spiritual application is there are spiritual boundaries Past, let's say, that God has established. And when I say that I'm teaching the same things that the early church would have taught, those are the boundaries we're following. Because they follow the very Word of God. And that's what the, the church has drifted away. These spiritual landmarks, they would be faith which is once and for all given to the saints. Jude chapter 3 talks about or these strange doctrines were brought in, or Peter would be the same. These strange doctrines, these false teachers. We adhere to the Word of God. We want to know what the Word of God says. In, in John 14, 6, I've already mentioned it. For, for again, it says, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, the life. There's no way or no one comes to the Father but through me. Yet within the body of Christ, works salvation is being taught. And that doctrine, maybe it's first grace and then it's works and they mix it up and they have a combination of things. Someone that used to be in this church went to a church for about seven months and all of a sudden they, they knew something was wrong but they didn't know. And then one time they started teaching and they had to get up in the service. They knew they were in the wrong place. 
If you move somewhere and go to a new city, you want to sit down and talk to the pastor. You want to know what they believe and why do they believe what they believe. Because that whole time, they were listening, being tainted slowly. Jeremiah said something interesting, and thus says the Lord, Jeremiah 6.16, Stand by the ways and see and ask the ancient paths where the good way is, and walk in it, and you will find rest for your souls. But they said, we will not walk in it. And that's what much of the church is saying. We're not going to follow these ways. God really didn't mean that 2,000 years ago. Now, he's talking about these ways. God wanted to lead them through the wilderness. This is what it's talking about. I, I wanted to lead you. He says, stand by the way. See and ask for the ancient past. These right spiritual paths I'm going to talk about. But if you look at the history of Israel, they begin to drift again and again and again and again. The end. God had to deal with the ten northern tribes and even the southern tribe Judah. The ten northern went into Syria into bondage and the two southern went into Babylon. What did they say? But we will not walk in them. There have been people that said we will not walk in them today. The problems are the same. Look with me in verse 20. We, we see the, the duty to fulfill. It says, O Timothy, guard what you've been entrusted with. The, that word guard is a military term. It's used in posting of a, a, a sentry or a watchman on duty. It's very, very important for those pastors, those leaders, to watch over the flock, to make sure the Word of God is always taught. And it's even in the worship, the Sunday school classes. If it's a larger church, you have a lot of home studies to know what they're teaching. You, not that you want to control them, but you want to know that they're teaching the truth and adhering to these same premises that were taught by that early church because it's not change. There's nothing new. The only difference is maybe the way a personality presents it. Now, Timothy's just really commanded. Commanded, again, to guard what was entrusted. Now, this becomes a dividing point for the body sometimes. Entrusted with what? Some say it was entrusted with the salvation. And, and truly, God is able to keep us until that day. That's not even a question. But what I believe it is that you're going to see is he was entrusted with the gospel. He was called as a, a ministry to bring to the, the Gentiles. And just as as he was given that ministry, you and I are given that same ministry in the Great Commission. You're entrusted with this Word of God to our families, again to our friends, to the community. Responsible of bringing this truth that the next generation then can catch it and pass it on to that next generation. So what it's referring to is this deposit of truth. A revelation that was given. The work of the cross. That we're saved by faith. Abraham was saved by faith. Every person in the Bible is saved by faith. No one has ever been saved by works. These are what we call the essentials of the faith. It's called the 
at times even the, the sacred truth, the correct knowledge, the pure doctrine or the pure gospel. It's to be held firmly and faithfully and to be consciously again passed on. To take it very seriously when you share with somebody, these are words of life. These are the very words of God. And the Word of God does not come back void. Maybe you don't catch it today. But I can guarantee at that right time, God is going to bring back to you that Word that you need to hear. It's the right Word at the right time. Because God will not leave you alone. Look at 1 Thessalonians 2 with me, verses 3 and 4. For our exhortation does not come from error or impurity or by the way of deceit, but just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel notice, so we speak not pleasing men, but God who examines our hearts. The world may say all kinds of things about about you and how you handle whatever it is but you know what it's God in the end that's going to examine your heart he knows your motive and love will cause you to share and bring it and comfort encourage others to minister to notice he was approved by God you too are approved by God what do you mean the moment you've been born again you became an ambassador for Jesus Christ You've been entrusted. Wow. You understand that word entrusted. Remember the first time you got your driver's license and dad said, here's the keys. He entrusted you with a car. He had to be crazy. God's entrusted you with the gospel, the message of his son, what his son has done for you up on the cross. 1 Corinthians 4.1 says this, let a man regard us in this manner, servants of Christ, stewards of the mysteries of God. These were mysteries that Paul was used to reveal it, hidden in the generations past, but always there, shadows, pictures. Jesus Christ is on every page. Once you see, boy, you see it every time. I used to have this black little square little block, and it had white lines on it, and and if you looked at it, he said, what's that gibberish? Some would say, oh, maybe that's Hebrew. Maybe it's this. But if you looked and you focused right, it said Jesus. The average person couldn't see it. But once you learned to focus, there was a slogan that went with it, once found, never lost. See, if you truly come to be born again, you'll never be lost. Your life changes, and it will impact person after person after in person. Now, the deposit Timothy was to guard was the, the truth. It's a divine revelation. God had, again, committed it to his care. But it doesn't stop. Well, that's the responsibility of the leaders of the church. It's the responsibility of every person. That's why you come and we equip you with the Word of God, that you do the work of God. You have that responsibility. And every Christian, whether he's in a pulpit or not, is a minister. A minister of God's grace. Now look again in verse 20. O Timothy, guard what has been entrusted to you, 
It is the, the teaching which Paul imparted to Timothy. He, he passes it on to Timothy. Now, it's important to understand, and these we saw time and time again were sound words, and we'll see it again in 2 Timothy. And the latter was to guard these sound words, healthy words, words of life, words of comfort, words of encouragement. Look back with me in 1 Timothy 6.3 on the screen. It says, if anyone advocates a different doctrine and does not agree with sound words, those of the Lord Jesus Christ, with the doctrine conforming to godliness, and you find that in many places of the Bible, the most important thing to God is that you be conformed to the image and likeness of Jesus Christ. That when people see you, they see Jesus Christ in your life. That is more important than anything else because if Jesus Christ is seen and heard from you, everything else will fall into balance. If you've got a problem in the marriage, that will deal with it. 2 Timothy 1.13 says this, Retain the standard of sound words which you've heard from me in faith and love which are in Christ Jesus. Retain these sound words. Hang on to them. As much as it is for us to communicate this word to you, sound, biblical teaching, you have the responsibility to hang on to it, to grasp it. Because the enemy wants to to tear it away from you, to say, God really didn't mean that. And I've had people in the church say that. Because they're saying this, that isn't really what it means. Let me tell you what it means. A pastor decided to make a right turn. And he was teaching one Sunday morning, and he was teaching on John 3.16, for God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son. So he comes up this first part, for God, he really didn't say for God so loved the world, he said for God so loved the lapped. And he was saying that God didn't die for every person. The way was open for every person if they would receive Jesus Christ. This is what we call apostate. One that knew the truth and walks away. That's common. It doesn't matter what denomination it is. The wheat and tares grow side by side. You cannot tell the difference until the harvest. These are the type of people that... that Timothy had to deal with. It's the same type of thing that we deal with today. It's very hard when it's in your own family. And you are my family. And we've seen people in the past all of a sudden being, being, and they're off. In left field, and you open the Scripture with them, but they do not want to hear. Second Timothy, you talk about itching ears, and that's what they have, itching ears. They want to hear. They want to believe what they want. Really showing that they were never really true believers. And it it breaks your heart as if it was your own son, your own daughter. But we guard the truth. And we bring the truth. But years ago, a simple Jewish tent maker spoke these words, whatever a man sows, that he will also reap. The truth is a, a valid for a nation as it is for an individual. 
The truth of the words of Paul of Tarsus is evident in our country today. For more than a generation now, our society has been sowing seeds, which we today are bringing forth the fruit. The truth can be rejected, but it cannot be avoided. This is Donald Wildman. Today, the United States is the leading country of pornography sending around the world. We used to be a country that sent missionaries and we're sending evil around the world. And yet, the church was not the light and salt or we would have never got to that point. Notice the danger to avoid, it's in verse 22, avoiding worldly, empty, or godless chatter, opposing arguments, what are falsely called knowledge. The reality is, danger is real. You know, you remember when your kids were young and, and they go up and they want to put their hand on the stove, it's hot, and you tell them, no, Bernie, Bernie. People grow up and they're still trying to grab something they shouldn't grab. Latch on to something they won't latch on. Our young kids learn, but some adults never learn. And they fall so deep into sin. It seems so hopeless. Yet, as long as they're on this earth, there is hope for anyone that would call upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. No matter how far away, they may even be on their deathbed. But it's better to be on their deathbed than not at all. Well, again, this word knowledge, is, it, it's used in the means of, of, of science. And it's interesting. It, it's really kind of like a, a false knowledge or a pseudo. It's characterized um, the Gnostic. It's a, a, again, I say a prototype Gnosticism. The, the word Gnosticism has this idea of knowledge. You had this greater knowledge and, you know, you need to know what I know. In fact, you really maybe can't know it because I'm, I know it. Or you've got to read our books and the Bible's not enough. And this is the basis for many cults. Let me tell you, this really doesn't mean that. Now, there's a lot of passages that we don't understand because we're, we don't have this Eastern mindset, the culture. We can learn the culture and understand that. But, but you don't need to be a scholar. You don't need to know Hebrew or Greek. There are tools that can help you. You just need to have an open heart to Jesus Christ. I want to know the truth, the truth that will set me free. God, I can't know this truth unless you speak to me. And I've heard sometimes more wisdom from somebody who's never read a commentary, even a Bible dictionary, who's just waited upon the Lord and sought the Lord and let the Lord speak into their heart when they read the Bible. Everything they needed to know is here. But we're all in different places. Well, Gnosticism, again, it's a Greek word. It comes from uh, Gnostis, which is to know. They claimed, as I mentioned, this, this higher knowledge or mystical higher plane. And if a person's that way, then that means they can look down upon you. You're not smart enough to know. 
God has made you in the image and likeness of Jesus Christ. And one of the ways that he made you is you have this mind to reason and know him. What is eternal life? John 17 says it's knowing him. As you're being conformed to this image and likeness, you're coming to know him and you want to be like him. And that's, that's what a disciple was. They would see a rabbi and, and they, they want to be like that rabbi and they put themselves under. And that's what we do. We put ourselves under Jesus Christ. We put ourselves under the word of God and we just follow and we learn from the scriptures. We learn from that rabbi. And for a disciple, is it one day that they would be a teacher and they would have their own disciples and they would reproduce and that's what we're called to do is go and make disciples in all nations. They even have Gnostic saviors. I'm not going to go on with the, the longness. But in verse 20, it says, avoiding worldly empty chatter and opposing arguments of falsely called knowledge. Timothy, this is what you've got to deal with. Timothy, avoid these things. When they knock on your door, don't, don't listen to it. Don't go answer. Don't discuss. When people come to your door, they generally have one, and this is important to understand, one main message. They want to convert you to their belief. There's no need to even spend time talking to them if they don't want to discuss the Bible. I've offered many times, let's just open the Bible. Let's open whatever book you want, and let's just read through it and see what the Bible says itself. No, I don't want to do that. Even when it's time to pray, because they know you're praying to a different God. They don't want to admit it, but they will not let you pray for them. Timothy was to maintain, and this is important to understand, a certain distance from them. Now, this is an important thing that you must remember. In here, look around. Yeah, look around. There's no messiahs here. Did you notice that? You're not a messiah. You cannot save these other people. If you cannot talk to them, reason with them when they have their own agenda, you just the best thing to do is just avoid them. I'll pray for you. And they run, no, pray for me. <laughs> Don't go on. Timothy, avoid them. The problem was common in several books. In fact, Colossians 2.8 says that, see to it that no one takes you captive through philosophy, empty deception according to the tradition of men, according to the elementary principles of the world, rather than according to Christ. The Colossians experienced it. Jude experienced it. On and on. The false teaching. Whenever God is moving, Satan is moving. If you've seen somebody just come to the Lord, know that the enemy is coming to check them out. Timothy is simply, turn away, avoid these conversations. But I want to change them. No, don't, don't try and change them. Let God do that. Only God can do it. This is how Paul characterized what false teaching was saying in 1 Timothy 1.4. Nor pay attention to myths, endless genealogies. Oh, by the way, that's what the Mormons have. They, they're so caught up in genealogies. Which give rise, notice, to mere speculation rather than the furthering of the ministration of God, which is by faith. 
First Timothy 4, 7. But have nothing to do with these worldly fables fit for old women. No offense, ladies. But that was a culture. They just sit there and tell these things back and forth. On the other hand, discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness. And you find that cover to cover in this Bible. That's what God wants to do, is that you be like him. Different than the world. John Phillips, I like what he said. He said, God does not expect us to win arguments with cultists. He wants us to live in such a way that that will convict them and to love them in a way that they will make them want to be converted. Isn't that powerful? God doesn't expect you to win the arguments. Why are we worried about trying to notch something on our belt? I've got one. Love them into the kingdom. Don't go into the conversation, but you know what? I love you. Bring them a pie. Bring them whatever you want to bring them. Be kind to them. But don't listen to them. I'm sorry. I'm a Christian. I believe the word. That's my plumb line. Our actions are important. See, the problem is that they're blinded by the God of this world. That's what 2 Corinthians 4, 3 and 4 says. And even if the gospel is veiled, it's veiled to those who are perishing whose case the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelieving so they might not see the light of the gospel, the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. So the most important thing that you and I can do is just simply pray for them. Just pray. Pray that God would open up their hearts and minds. That when they're reading the Scripture, it says it means this, that God would stop them in the tracks. As if he highlighted that page and read it. When I've tried to talk to people and they say, this means this, I said, would you read it again in its context? Well, read it again. Read it again, because that's what they need to hear is, is the Word of God. Read it aloud. Because what you're saying is not what it says. Because they've been programmed with a lie. And that happens a little bit here, a little bit there, a little bit there, if you continue to listen to that rubbish look with me in verse 21 we see really the development to consider which some have professed and thus gone astray from the faith that that pseudo knowledge a false knowledge you're so sure they're they're so sincere sincere people that are sincerely wrong will not be in heaven unless they receive jesus christ and more than trying to talk to them and argue with them is pray for them Pray that God would open up the eyes of their heart that they might see the true and living God and what he's done for them on the cross. And For by grace you are saved through faith, not of works, lest any man would boast. Because almost every cult I've ever spoken to, it's all about works salvation. And none of us can be good enough ever to get to heaven. None of us. Jesus Christ was the only perfect man, and he was the God-man. Made in the likeness of sinful flesh, but he was without sin. He came to show us how we might live, and his dependence was upon the Holy Spirit to guide him, to lead him, to trust in the very word of God. Man does not live by faith alone, but every word that proceeded from the mouth of God. 
And that's so important to understand. Paul realized again that, that these false teachers had strayed from the faith. We're talking about apostasy. Again, as I mentioned, when we get to chapter 3 in 2 Timothy, we'll see that apostasy. We'll see it in, in full-blown, and I'll bring a lot of examples in at that time. These closing verses bring uh, before us great dangers of really intellectualism, rationalism, liberalism, all kinds of isms. Bottom line is, they sadly miss the mark of who Jesus Christ is and what he's done. Look with me in verse 21. We see grace be with you. Timothy, he had the truth. Paul's protege. He had learned and put himself under. He knew the truth that would set him free. But what he needed was grace grace to deal with these situations because none of us like to confront people and if you like to confront people you need to read first corinthians 13 you need to be loving if you're wanting to get in everyone's face there is a problem with your love relationship first with god and trusting god so again, Timothy had plenty of faith. What he needed was grace, grace to, to stand firm in Ephesus. I'm going to say pray for me. Pray for the pastors. Because sometimes we do have to confront things we don't want to confront. We, we, we want to be cautious, but sometimes we can be too cautious when things need to be dealt with. You want to make sure it's, it's not you that it's it's confronting and it's really the spirit that we come in love that our words are seasoned with grace no one should ever want to confront but we have to confront sometimes just as a mother or a father of a, a child gets on drugs you you have to confront them sometimes it has to be tough love it's a hard thing timothy you need this grace to face these things, to look at them. Timothy, I know you're young, and some of these people are older, but you know what the truth is. The truth will set you free, and you need to stand for that truth, no matter how people are going to react. All who desire to live godly will be what? You know, that, that should be a red flag in your life. Are you experiencing persecution in some way? Oh, not like what they are in foreign countries. But sometimes people won't want to talk to you if they know you're a Christian. They won't want to greet you. In fact, they'll want to maybe harass you and mock you about your Christianity. And that's not heavy persecution. But if something's not happening in your life from time to time, maybe you're a closet Christian. And that's not what we're called to do, is to have our faith in a closet. Our faith is to be a walk. Our faith is to, to be active wherever we're at. It should be seen in us and, and through us. 
Paul, again, was praying for this grace because, Timothy, I know you need this grace. He was, again, the representative of Paul, Paul the, the apostle. He was God's ambassador now. He was the presiding, again, pastor in this place. It was a, a place of wealth, a place of immorality. He was young, but God had called him and God had put him into that place. And that's so important. God had put him there. And if God has put you where you're at, he will give you exactly what you need at that moment. Not too late. He will put the words on your tongue. He will put the words in your mind and speak that truth in love. The grace speaks of a reliance upon God. And I think that's something that we struggle with. Reliance upon God. We get up, we run out. Very quickly. It's interesting, I was going through a study and, and they were talking about Psalm 23. And he'll lead us through these beautiful green pastures. But, but to that eastern mine, they don't have that green pasture. The sheep don't, that isn't where the sheep are. They're out in the desert areas. And it's a little sprig here and a little sprig here and a little sprig here. It's just enough for this moment, just enough for that next moment, and just enough for that next moment. And when God was leading them through the desert, this is important to understand, he was leading them in such a way that they would be dependent upon him. And the question you need to ask, as I needed to ask when I was looking at how dependent upon Am I on God? I can tell you theologically, but if you run ahead of God, you're not demonstrating that dependence. So God will lead you into the desert. God will lead you into the wilderness that you learn to trust Him. I think that's one of the reasons we get old too. Because man, when you get old, I'm not even going to go there. You know that we are more dependent on when we're young, we thought we were all messiahs. Nothing could go wrong. And there's advantage in every age. John MacArthur said something I liked. Let me read it. The most important yardstick by which a church can be measured is not how large it is, or how good its fellowship is, or how interesting the pastor is. It's not how good the music is, or how well the grounds are kept up, or how respected the community, the most important measure of any church is how it handles the Word of God. Whether or not they teach and live out divine truth is the key issue because the church's responsibility before God is to guard and proclaim the truth of God's Scripture. Consequently, the most severe crime against God is to mishandle his revelation, thus portraying false, idolatrous image of him to the world. 1 Timothy 6.11, I close with this. But flee from these things, your man of God. And we talked about a man of God can refer to a woman. Flee from these things. Pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, perseverance, and gentleness. 
When we get to 2 Timothy, one of the themes that runs through Timothy is perseverance. In light of apostasy and the many different things, which is very practical for you and me because we can take this spiritual picture and apply it in a practical thing to persevere in our jobs, the places we don't want to be. 